climate change. Now, normally I would try to make a funny joke or a pun or something nonsensical to start the episode. But guys, this is not a normal episode. This is climate change. It's no joking matter. There's no fun to be had at the expense of the entire world, all right? So in respect for climate change and all that it is, do not, I repeat, do not even think about thinking, about cracking that dumb smile you put on your face when there's a joke. Because I swear on all that is holy, I will find you and I will smack it off your face. This is climate change. Our livelihood hangs in the balance, guys. It's not a joking matter. Unless, unless you don't believe in it. And then it might be a joking matter. And we're going to get into that today. So now that you're warned, let's get into the thick of it in this week's Carpool Chemistry on climate change. Welcome back to this week's climate change episode of Carpool Chemistry. Now, before I give you an overview of the episode, I want to give a big apology. It's been over a month since uh, this episode was supposed to come out. And I can explain. Um, I was all set up to record the episode when it was supposed to come out. And, well, uh, my wife has been pregnant, and my son decided to come a week earlier than uh, his due date and uh, decided that he needed to stay in the hospital for a week. So being unprepared, uh, I got behind on my actual research, um, you know, the one I go to grad school for, and I've been trying to play catch up with less sleep and trying to stay afloat. And I actually, there's been several times I was going to record it. And uh, like, for instance, uh, right after my son was born, I was scheduled to get a uh, tooth pulled. So then I was dealing with that. My mouth was all swollen up and uh, I couldn't talk very well. And then I was going to record it last week and I had a kidney stone. It's like the gods of chemistry did not want me to do this episode yet. They wanted me to prepare better, and that's what I've been doing in the meantime. Uh, so hopefully it ends up being a really good episode. So, yeah, I, I love doing this podcast, and it's it's one of the best things that I've ever started for me. Um, but my family's got to come first, and my health's got to come first. So if you can't handle that, then, uh, well, I, I hope we never meet, because I might slap you upside the face. So, with that, here's what's going to go down today. This is assuming you accepted my apology. I'm really sorry. I'm going to get back into it. It's going to be better. Anyways, what's going down today? We're going to start out by talking about some background chemistry and physics of climate change. Or uh, just climate in general. Then we're going to go way back to the beginning of Earth's climate history with some paleoclimatology. Then we're going to dive into the claims of both sides and kind of get into the history of this debate. Where did it come from? Who started the debate? How long have we been talking about climate change? Um, and we're going to, like I said, we're going to get into some claims. We're going to answer some questions that you guys sent to me on this debate. And honestly, in my mind, the debate's kind of settled. Uh, 
but we're going to see if we can settle it for you guys. I don't know if we will, um, but hopefully, if not, I can at least make it a little more clear for you guys, provide you with the information you need to make an actual informed opinion. Uh, now, I said that in my mind the debate was settled, but in all actuality, it gets a little uh, it gets a little chippy because politics are involved, and and like this is one of those that I I can't avoid not talking about politics because climate change is such a hot political debate right now, and we're going to talk about why. <clears throat> it all goes back to basically a Cold War. Um, little before that but so here we go climate change episode I think it's gonna be a good one so to start off like I said I wanted to give you guys some background into the chemistry and physics that goes into this topic I want to introduce you to some concepts that are essential for the discussion of climate change and I'm gonna be a little bit blunt here and say guys if you don't know these terms and these concepts you don't get to have an opinion on climate change okay you can go, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a Republican. I've listened to, or I'm a Democrat and I care about the environment. No, unless you know these terms, you don't get to have an opinion on this subject. Okay. Um, unless you can talk about science, there's no, like, the only thing that you can ever really talk about are the laws and stuff. And even then you don't have an informed opinion, so you don't get to have one. And that's how the world should work. If you don't have an informed opinion, you don't get to have one. Little rant, but anyways. Um, if you don't know these terms, hopefully by the end you do. So you can have an opinion and we can have an intelligent conversation about this. Okay. So that's my hope is that by the end of this, just this little segment here, you start to understand why climate change isn't necessarily just some made-up hoax by the Democrats to, you know, get socialism or communism so they can, you know, increase government power, okay? So, let's get into it. The first concept that we need to discuss is absorption of, of electromagnetic radiation by molecules, okay? Sounds like a big term. Basically, it's how our atmosphere interacts with the energy that's being produced by the sun, okay? So electromagnetic radiation, um, is it's different frequencies and wavelengths of energy that vary simultaneously in magnetism, magnetism and electricity, okay? Once again, big terms. If you, know, if you have no idea what I just said, you probably should take a physics class, <laughs> but, well, if you want to know, you don't have to. So even though you should. Now, basically, electromagnetic radiation is light in its various forms. It's, it's just different energies of light, okay? We, as humans, can only see visible light, but there's a whole spectrum from the lowest energy radio waves, like the ones that you, you know, run your radio and other wireless devices, your Bluetooth, your, uh, your uh, cell phones and smart meters, okay? Those are radio waves. They're the lowest energy, okay? Their, their wavelengths can be huge. Uh, and then to microwaves, like those in your, your microwaves. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. Uh, 
to infrared, like the warming lamps that keep your Big Mac at the perfect temperature for bacteria to grow. <laughs> uh, to visible, you know, like the light that you can see. To ultraviolet, to like the kind that you wear sunscreen against, have certain sunglasses against. Then we have x-rays that uh, they can help the doctor or dentist see your bones and your teeth. Then we have gamma rays, which uh, can give you cancer, and but a lot of times they use it to treat cancer. We talked about that in the cancer episode. Um, now, there's going to be an episode on electromagnetic radiation one of these days, but you guys don't want to vote for it, so... I'm going to, that's why I have to do this little explanation. I'm not going to get too into it. I'll say the sun radiates a bunch of them. Okay. And mostly what's coming from the sun is uh, UV and down. Okay. So you have ultraviolet and guys, I want to say this too. Ultraviolet radiation and up is what's called ionizing radiation. That's the stuff that can give you cancer. Um, I, I just want to add a little thing on this. Right now, there's like big, I wouldn't say big, there's like conspiracy theories that like cell phones and uh, and like smart meters are, and Wi-Fi are giving people cancer. That's uh or, or like other health problems. That's a complete crock of shit. I'm, I'll just say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's the only way to explain that. Um, if that was true, if, if microwaves and radio waves were messing with our bodies, we'd all be, we'd all be dead way long ago. We've been using radios for over a hundred years. Uh, Visible light has more energy. It should be jacking us up even more. Okay, and I'm not saying I'm I'm going to talk about not these these other radio waves. They interact with molecules, but it's how they interact is is the big key. Okay. Um. So let's let's get into what uh how these molecules kind of interact with uh, electromagnetic radiation. So you have two different kinds of interaction, really. You have an entire molecule vibrating, and then you have intermolecular vibrating, okay? So the inside the molecule vibrating. So what like infrared and below do is they cause whole molecule vibrating. So uh, this is how microwaves work. They Microwaves are tuned specifically to make water molecules vibrate. They vibrate in your food. They start vibrating the other molecules in your food. And that's how your food warms up in the microwave. Okay. Uh, the wavelengths are, are, are actually pretty big. That's why, uh, so if you look at your microwave, you'll notice that there's glass and then there's like a little mesh thing, uh, a little metal mesh 
the holes are small enough that the microwaves can't get through. So people that always said that you can't like stare at the microwave, they don't know what they're talking about. You could to you could put your face right up to it and you would be fine. Microwaves aren't escaping that. Actually, they used to not have the glass there. It was just a mesh that you could just stare into. Um, they put the glass there, not for the microwaves, but for the food that was exploding and kids, you know, and people were getting hot, whatever food, you know, they're getting their chimichanga was becoming a volcano right into their eyes and burning them. So that's why the glass is there uh, for your food. Your food was more dangerous than the microwaves. Now, if you stuck, if you did get exposed to microwaves, it would heat up the water in your skin and burn you. Um, but it has to be pretty intense to do that. Like I said, we're being bombarded by these things all the time and it's fine. We're fine. Anyways. So that's microwaves. Um, infrared does the same thing. Okay. Infrared causes vibrations in a whole slew of molecules, including water. Okay. That's, that's how heat lamps work. It's infrared light that's causing your whatever, your Big Mac to stay warm, okay? Um, which is kind of, it's kind of gross. But anyways. <laughs> uh, now, on, like I said, on the other spectrum, we, we have this intramolecular vibrating. You, you can imagine a molecule... Like just imagine a water molecule. When it's exposed to UV light, you have an oxygen and two hydrogens, H2O. And what this UV light does is it causes these, it's, there's these different kinds of uh, vibrations. The, the, so if you imagine a water molecule kind of looks like a V, it's bent, okay? You can cause the hydrogens to come close together or you like, they can kind of vibrate closer together. The bond length between the hydrogen and oxygen can stretch. They can both stretch at the same time or they can stretch one or the other and, and oscillate. Okay. And then uh, there's other like little wiggling that, that UV radiation causes. Okay. Um, so that's what UV can do. And then if you keep going higher, uh, it can... It can also, it can break bonds. Uh, that's how uh, UV radiation uh, can cause cancer is it, it, it breaks certain bonds in your DNA. Um, and it can actually cause other bonds to be created because certain bonds were broken. And that's how you get cancer. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how infrared and, and ultraviolet light causes, you know, it, it, these molecules can absorb that energy. Um, when it comes to our atmosphere. Okay. Now we're going to get into what's called the greenhouse effect. Oh, my alarm's going off. Sorry. Um, so, uh, totally knocked me off track. Oh, greenhouse effect. Okay. We have the greenhouse effect. And the greenhouse effect is 
this this is all going to tie in. I promise. So the greenhouse effect is like a greenhouse. You know, you've seen people with greenhouses. They can they can grow plants into the winter, even though it's too cold outside for plants. Because what they do is they have this glass. Okay, the sunlight comes through the glass. It hits the stuff inside of the glass, warms it up. Okay, that heat isn't allowed to escape back out the glass. And and this same thing happens in our own uh, atmosphere. We have like, our atmosphere is like the glass of our house. Okay. Now, a little, a little tiny history on uh, the greenhouse effect. It was argued by Joseph Fourier in 1824. It's been around for a long time. Okay. Um, further strengthened in 18, like by Poliette. In 1827 and 1838, uh, Tyndall in 1859, and then uh, 1896 by Arrhenius, okay? And then the actual term was uh, first coined by Niels Gustav Ekholm in 1901, okay? So we've been talking about the greenhouse effect for a long time. Okay, so, and and how this works, okay, is you have energy coming from the sun. And it comes into Earth's atmosphere. About 6% of the energy that's coming from the sun gets reflected by the atmosphere. Some of it just bounces right off the molecules in the atmosphere. You have 20% of the Earth's energy that's reflected by the clouds. And then about 4% of the energy is reflected back to space from Earth's surface. 51% of that energy is, so that, that's what's left, uh, is absorbed by the land and the oceans, okay? So that energy comes in and it hits the land, warms up the land. Then, uh, the earth gives off infrared heat, okay? Some of it is used to warm water and, and just warm the air in general. Um, some of it, some of that energy actually that was incoming from the sun was actually absorbed by the atmosphere, about 16% of it. And some of it was absorbed by clouds. That's how we get clouds that, you know, uh, have different energy. That's how our storms get some of their energy. A lot of it they get from water, like from the oceans and stuff. Anyway, stuff coming from the earth, infrared coming from the earth. Uh, some of it is carried to clouds in the atmosphere by just latent heat in water vapor. So it's heating water in the air. Um, some of that is absorbed by the atmosphere. And then, uh, so a lot of that, a lot of that heat is getting trapped in the atmosphere. And so, like I said, you imagine those, those molecules vibrating, okay, from that absorbed infrared heat. And it causes these certain molecules to vibrate. Those molecules uh, that are really good at this are water, carbon dioxide, NO2, and methane, CH4, okay? So those are our 
greenhouse gases. Okay. Now, I've kind of explained that a little bit. And I want to explain one more uh, key thing to help us understand this. Um, and, and it's combustion or, or taking something that's, you know, carbon and dis and breaking its energy so that we can get energy from it. Um, our engines use this. Um, we actually, it's our, we, we aren't using combustion, but respiration is similar in that it has the same products. So breathing has the same products as combustion for the most part. Okay. Combustion, you're taking hydrocarbon like gasoline, you're mixing it with oxygen that's oxidizing it and you're creating CO2 and H2O. Okay. And so every time you burn something, you're creating CO2 and H2O. Those are two of our greenhouse gases. That's very important to realize. Also respiration, respiration. Also, when you breathe, you produce water and CO2. That's really important to know. Okay. That, that plays into the greenhouse effect. So with that, I, I think we've gotten, gotten down the basics. And I, I, I think hopefully I explained it well enough that you'll be under, you'll be able to understand the stuff we're going to talk about and understand why, uh, why this subject's important and understand why the debate is what it is. So with that, let's get into some paleo climatology. Okay, guys, let's get into some paleoclimatology. So paleoclimatology is the study of our Earth's climate throughout all time. Okay. And it's actually really cool how much we can know about what our Earth's climate was uh, throughout, you know, throughout the history of our planet. Our, our planet is, let's see if I remember this right. I think 4.6 billion years old. And uh, we know pretty much what the atmosphere and what uh, kind of the climate was like way back, almost at least halfway there. Okay. So, uh, and, our, and our Earth hasn't had an atmosphere and basically didn't, like, for a good chunk of it, it didn't have an atmosphere. Uh, it was too hot and it was still cooling. So, uh, first off, I'll kind of explain a little bit of how they know what our climate was like. Um, for more recent times, like still in the, you know, tens of thousands of years, we can use ice cores, ice cores. Okay. You're, your ice, no matter when you make it, it has air bubbles trapped in it. Okay. We can take those air bubbles and see what our atmosphere was like. That's little tiny bubbles of atmosphere that are trapped in the ice. So they go to Antarctica, uh, they go to uh, the Arctic and they take these ice cores into these glaciers and things. Um, so yeah, that's one way. Um, we know exactly how certain rocks form and the kind of climate need that needs to be present for certain rocks to form. So if we look at rocks, we can tell that. And some rocks have atmosphere trapped in them as well. 
Um, some of them are porous and they can uh, extract gas from that. Um, also fossil records, certain plants can only grow under certain conditions. So we can look at that. Um, we can look at uh, volcanic, you know, flows and things like that. Lots of different ways. I mean, there's so I there's I I couldn't explain all of them. There's so many different ways. So what I'm trying to get across is we have a pretty good idea of what the climate was like. Like, yeah, we couldn't give an exact like perfect temperature, but we could say this is probably in the ballpark. You know, like as good as uh, current weathermen can give probably, uh, probably not as good, but still, like I said, within, within a decent range, we know pretty much what the atmosphere and what the climate was like. So let's get into how far back we know. The first major event uh, that we want to talk about is what's called the Huron glaciation. And that was 2.4 billion years ago. Okay. And it also kind of coincides with what, with what's called the great oxygenation event. I had to say that slow so I could say it right. Okay. So basically this is when uh, we kind of had these little organisms that are being able to use photosynthesis. Okay. And they're, they're taking carbon dioxide and they're creating oxygen. And there was a ton of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere before this. And these little microbes, they start photosynthesizing the crap out of everything. And they create a ton of oxygen. And nothing used oxygen at the time, at least not to the same extent that it was being produced. And so much, so much oxygen was created and so much carbon dioxide was used that it formed a, this massive uh, ice age, okay, that almost turned around and wiped out life on Earth. So um, the next one, we're going to jump quite a bit in forward in time to 650 to 600 million years ago. So it's still a long time ago, you know but it's not quite 2.4 billion years ago. So we have another event called Snowball Earth or the Maronian, Maranoan, sorry, not Maronian, Maranoan glaciation. Um, and so similar thing, there's just not enough CO2 in the air. And then we end up having, uh, they think this, this Snowball Earth where the Earth was basically completely frozen over, it was ended by a giant release of methane. Um, there's methane producing bacteria. There's methane that comes from uh, different sources in the earth. Anyways, a giant release of methane, they think ended this. Um, then there's a bunch of major extinction events from 517 to 485 million years ago. Um, 450 million years ago, was the second largest extinction um, in their, let's see if I can say this one right. There's a lot of uh, old Latin names. Ordovician to the Solarian era, okay. Um, in this extinction, 85% of species on Earth go extinct, okay. And this was caused by the Earth cooling and they think 
that it was possibly because of volcano activity. Now, this is going to bring up our first point when we look back at paleoclimatology. Uh, a lot of a lot of people that deny climate change will say, like, oh, w- there's no way we're producing more CO2 than volcanoes. Volcanoes are probably causing global warming. How do we know they're not causing it? Well, it's because when we look back at paleoclimatology, most of the time volcanoes are causing cooling, okay? Um, And we'll talk about that after I get through this. We'll kind of talk about what these volcanoes are doing that's causing cooling, okay? And so uh, this cooling causes another ice age of the whole Earth. Like I said, 85% of species on Earth are extinct. Um, Then we have... uh, the Corot Ice Age from 360 million years ago to 260, so it was a 100 million year old ice age, okay? And what's happening here is land plants are finally uh, evolved and they start just pumping out oxygen and taking away CO2. CO2 levels of the earth drop below 300 parts per million, okay? Uh, which is significant. Uh, 305, 305 million years ago, we have uh, a carbon carboniferous rainforest collapse because of this cooling climate, like because of this cooling climate. Okay, and so we have a major extinction of these of this certain rainforest. Okay, um, two hundred and fifty one. So this one's kind of funny because it's super specific of a date. Two hundred and fifty one point nine zero two million years ago, we have the Permian Triassic extinction. Now. Uh, this this one is the reason why it's so specific. It's probably because it's the most studied, and the reason why it's most studied is because uh, this is the largest extinction that's ever happened on our planet. Ninety six percent of all marine species go extinct, so almost everything in the ocean goes extinct. of land vertebrates go extinct. So uh, in total, 83% of all life on Earth goes extinct. Okay. Now you may be thinking like, wait, you said 85% of uh, like the second largest. Why is that significant? Well, this one was a bigger extinction because it was almost completely, uh, almost all life in the ocean. Whereas that 450 million years ago, almost everything was in the ocean. So it wasn't that big of, so it was a big deal. It was 85% of life on earth. But um, at this point we have 96% of marine species. So you can directly compare those. And we now have land vertebrates that almost go extinct. So that's a, that's crazy. So. This one actually was caused by a heat, uh, not by global cooling, but by global warming. And they think that volcanoes actually caused this one, but not in the way that you think. They think what happened is volcanoes, uh, they ignited coal, giant coal beds. Remember that at carbon, Carboniferous Rainforest Collapse? Those created coal beds. And those coal beds 
ignited. And so just there was just massive. It was like if they burned all the Earth's coal at the same time, like it just caused the Earth's climate to just get super, super hot. And it causes 83% of all life on Earth to die. Now, we have another extinction event in uh, 199.6 million years ago. Now, this is between the Jurassic, the Jurassic and the Jurassic eras or periods. Anyways, Jurassic, Jurassic extinction. Okay. Um, 50% of life wiped out on that one. Okay. And the oceans become super acidic. 66 million years ago, there's a Jurassic extinction. This is the one that wiped out the dinosaurs. Um, they think this one was caused by global cooling and, uh, it was caused one of the major things. I mean, there's the asteroid. There's also a vault. It could be a culmination of it. There was a volcano in India that erupted for 30,000 years. So that's significant. And it caused a global cooling that killed all the dinosaurs. Um, 53.8 million years ago, there is the thermal maximum where the average temperature of the entire earth was eight degrees Celsius warmer than it is today. That's crazy. Um, then we have 49 million years ago. We have, uh, we have this global cooling that is caused is called a kala, and uh, this specific uh, it was funny this like what this specific species of algae uh, or not algae ferns sorry these this specific type of ferns was is attributed to this global cooling in that they would do photosynthesis and they take in this carbon and when they die they'd sink to the ocean floor. And so they just, they take all that CO2 with them. There's no releasing it. Um, so that CO2, it, it can't go in the carbon cycle anymore. So it's, it's just trapped at the bottom of the ocean now. So the earth cools. And then we have uh, 2.5 million years to present. It's called the Quaternary Ice Age. And uh, we're actually coming out of that one right now. Um, and uh, that that's basically paleoclimatology in a nutshell, okay? Now, here's a point that I want to get across as well. Notice every single time the climate changed, what happened? We had a massive extinction event, okay? So here's the point. It doesn't matter if human climate change is being caused or if it's natural. At this point, it doesn't matter. The fact is the climate is changing and every time it has changed in the past, there has been major extinctions. Okay. That's why people are freaking out because, and, and we're starting to see extinctions now. And I, I want to say extinctions 
extinction is a normal part of life. Uh, things do go extinct. It's part of evolution. Okay. They, they go extinct. We get new species and old species that aren't adapt enough to the environment don't survive. Um, now this is kind of scary because guess what? As much as you don't want to think it, we're one of the species on earth and we depend on other species on earth to survive. We're not, we're not separate from all of this. So if the species we depend on don't make it, we're not going to make it. Okay. Now there are, were a few, um, events in recent history that, uh, I thought were significant. I'm, I'm actually only going to go over, uh, basically one of them in 1816, there was a year without a summer where there was a massive, uh, volcano eruption that caused, uh, a cooling. And in 1816, it caused what they call a year without a summer where there was freezing temperatures in the United States well into July. That's, uh, that's pretty significant. Now, a lot of my bases in Utah. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, LDS people. I'm not going to get religious. I'm just going to say if you're LDS, uh, go look what was happening in your, uh, in your church's history at this time. I think it's kind of interesting. Anyways, enough of that. It was crazy. And it was caused by this giant volcano that crops across, you know, the United States were failing. People were going hungry. It causes massive migrations of people in the United States. And yeah, it jacked stuff up and actually changed our country's history because of that year. Now, from 1850 to the present is been constant warming. And what else happened in 18, in the 18, like, you know, later 1800s was called the industrial revolution. Okay. Where we start pumping out, we have these factories, we start pumping out tons of carbon dioxide and we've seen constant warming since that time. And we've also seen constant increase in atmospheric CO2 from that time. Um, 1850 is also the time when we really started like keeping track of uh, temperatures. So, yeah. So before we go, I want to kind of explain, well, uh, before we move on, I'm saying, um, I want to kind of explain why volcanoes cause global warming. I mean, not why they don't cause global warming, why volcanoes don't cause global warming. They actually cause global cooling. Now, um, Volcanoes spew out rocks. They spew out magma. There's not a lot of carbon in magma. There is some. And so there is a CO2 emission of volcanoes. And it is a lot uh, comparative to like your car, I guess. So, uh, but most of what they're producing is like sulfur. Um, and it's, you know, different oxidative forms. Um, so sulfates, sulfites, stuff like that. Um, so it's producing a lot of this stuff. It produces a lot of stuff that it's just blocking the sun. Okay. It's dark, 
stuff that absorbs light and, and doesn't let light through to the earth. That's why volcanoes cause global cooling is they block out the sun. The, it blocks the greenhouse effect. It, it does anti greenhouse effect. Okay. Um, just a quick note. Um, one of the questions that I did get was CO2 produced by volcanoes versus us. So, um, volcanoes, while they are kind of like an event, uh, they're pretty, uh, year to year, it's, it's pretty consistent. So volcanoes produce per year, 200 million tons of CO2. So, wow, that's a lot of CO2. If you took all the CO2, compressed it so that you could weigh it, it would weigh 200 million tons. Now, what about us? Now, this is from everything, all everything we produce, cars, industry, agriculture, breathing, everything, okay? We produce per year 24 billion tons of CO2 per year. That is uh, about, what is that? That's, that's, let's see, that's about 26, from what I read, about 60 times as much, okay? So 2.4 billion, 200 million. So that's, that's significant, guys. We are way out producing volcanoes. So um, if you're listening and you have that question, there's the answer. We are producing 60 times more CO2 than volcanoes ever could. So there's that. And like I said, most of the time, volcanoes cause global cooling, not global warming. Um, they just, they, they don't produce in proportion the right amount of chemicals to produce warming. They, they block out the sun more than they uh, are causing, you know, greenhouse gases. So that's paleoclimatology now. Now that we've kind of got that background. So let's get into the debate. And I'm going to start out with a little bit of history of the debate of climate change. So uh, Thomas Chamberlain in 1899 uh, stated that CO2 could affect the climate. If we doubled the amount of CO2 in the air, that it would raise the temperature of the, the average temperature of the earth. Um, and I just think that's significant. 1899 CO2 and its effects on the climate are brought into question. Um, that's one of the things that I always uh, hear from people is like, oh, it's why didn't we know about this until, you know, the 70s and the 80s? No, we've known about this for a long time. Um, it's just no one cared. Um, so really, the debate really starts getting hot and really starts uh, starting during the Cold War. Um, just a a little uh, history trip here. So if you don't know what the Cold War is, it was a Cold War, meaning there was no shots fired, no bombs dropped, uh, at least 
at each other between the United States and the Soviet Union. And one of the main parts of this Cold War was a nuclear arsenal proliferation. So both the United States and the Soviet Union had been doing research and were developing nuclear warheads. And it was kind of this race, this nuclear race. Um, it actually brought about like us going to the moon. If you don't think we went to the moon, that's another, we'll, we'll talk about that one another day. Anyways, led to us going to the moon, led to us, uh, you know, having satellites, things like that, all to try to beat the Soviets. Um, and as things progressed, uh, we thought that, you know, one side or the other was eventually going to pull the trigger. And the only thing that was keeping either side from pulling that trigger was the fact that they didn't know if it would be worth it. You know, if both the United States and the Soviet Union start throwing lobbing nukes at each other, what's going to be left in the aftermath? Um, so the United States tries to determine if a nuclear war is winnable and starts paying scientists to study the effects of what a nuclear war would do to the planet and to the United States. So these scientists, they start studying, they start looking at models and they start doing experiments as to what would be the effect of nuclear war. And a paper comes out and uh, the report was that if only five nukes were dropped, and we're not talking Hiroshima, Nagasaki bombs, we're talking hydrogen bombs. Five nukes were dropped, uh, the world would have a nuclear winter, meaning so much debris would be put into the atmosphere that it would block out the sun and plunge the earth into another ice age. Um, and an interesting note on that, um, these scientists, they were very alarmed with what they had discovered. And to try to, like, persuade Congress to take action to not allow, uh, like, further uh, proliferation of our nuclear arsenal and the start to de missile defense programs, they reported on their lowest number of the temperature range they found. Anytime you do anything in science, you have a range, okay? When I, you know, when I do a test on the activity of my protein, I do it three times and it gives me a range. It gives me an upper range and a lower range. So these guys took the lower range and reported that to try to like shock effect, to get Congress to take action. Well, uh, that didn't fly with the scientists that were producing nuclear uh, arsenals. And uh, you have a few scientists that really start to, uh, to become opponents to these scientists that were studying the climate effects of nuclear war. It was namely Fred Singer, Nuremberg, and uh, Fred Seitz. They were those three 
they were all physicists. Uh, Seitz and Nuremberg both worked on the atomic bomb, the original one, the Manhattan Project. And then uh, Fred Singer was a, uh, a rocket scientist. And both, and not both, all three of them were very concerned uh, with communism. They hated communism. Um, they were very much a part of the McCarthyism, uh, Red Scare type uh, attitude. And their thought was that these climate scientists were trying to weaken the United States. And they claimed that these climate scientists were on, like, they were siding with the Soviets, um, which was ridiculous. And this becomes like it's it's a battle between the these three and these scientists. These scientists then go on, um, and it's not the same to scientists, just uh, climate scientists in general. They start noticing effects of acid rain, and these same three scientists show up and say, "No, acid rain's not real." Um, and and mind you, this is all during the Reagan administration. So conservatives controlled the government and Singer and Seitz were very high up in, uh, they, they were both conservative uh, scientists. And so they had a lot of politicians on their side. And so they would be in positions that they probably shouldn't have been and probably weren't qualified to be in necessarily um, as in it wasn't, it wasn't their field or expertise. And so, um, they end up, uh, doing a lot of harm to things that could have progressed and helped now. Um, they, they were always kind of trying to sh cast doubt on the scientific, uh, findings if it had to do with the climate. And the reason was, that they disliked communism so much. Um, and when the Cold War ended, they needed to find, like, they kind of looked what the next threat would be to the United States capitalism. And they determined it was environmentalism uh, and government regulation. So uh, they were opposed to any government regulation that was brought about trying to help the environment or trying to help cut down emissions or anything like that. And it's always them butting heads. And so they're the reason them portraying these climate scientists as communists. Uh, it's, it's what's led to today, the climate change. If, if you believe in climate change, you're considered a liberal or a communist. Um, and it's because of these, these three scientists, they're the main reason. Um, and they, you know, they would talk to their conservative uh, politicians and, and convince them also that uh, this was a liberal or a communist standpoint to believe in climate change. So what I kind of want to do is talk about claims of both sides now, right today. And uh, we'll kind of work through it. And I just, I just kind of wanted to give you a little background as to why, why 
the debate is where it is right now and why why climate change has kind of became become a political polar issue even though it's science science doesn't have politics science doesn't have uh it's it's bipartisan it's all partisan there's no you know there's no republican democrat science is science so we'll get into the claims of both sides and kind of where things are getting exaggerated and then where they're getting ridiculous and we'll kind of work through it and hopefully uh we can find something in the end all right so let's get into this debate so i found a uh website that did the pros and cons kind of the claims of both sides pretty well so I'm just gonna kind of go through it and we'll kind of talk about it I I can I can kind of give you the science of each as we go through um, so the first one overwhelming scientific consensus this is this is for climate change says human activity is primarily responsible for global climate change and uh, this was a huge study <clears throat> done in 2010. So that 97 to 98% of climate researchers um, publishing at the time, most actively in their field, agree that human activity is primarily responsible for global climate change at this time. Um, uh, the opposite side of that says that more than a thousand scientists disagree that human activity is primarily responsible for global climate change. Um, now, this was from 2010, uh, another 2010 on Climate Depot release report featuring more than a thousand scientists. Um, who disagreed that humans are primarily responsible for global climate change. So one says that there's a huge consensus. Other says that there's a, there's not a consensus that from everything I've seen and there, there's an overwhelming consensus that we are causing changes to the climate. Um, Next one, rising levels of human produced gases increase, sorry, rising levels of human produced gases released into the atmosphere create a greenhouse effect that traps heat and causes global warming. The opposite side of that, the conservative side, Earth's climate has always warmed and cooled and the 20th century rise in global temperature is within the bounds of natural temperature fluctuations over the past 3000 years. So here's the thing that kills me. Uh, both can be true. Just, you know, just because you start in the middle and you're not quite to the extreme yet, doesn't mean that you're not having an effect just because you're within the natural bounds. Um, the the bounds, every, every time there's been a change, things have died. That's what I tried to give with the paleoclimatology. Every time there's been a change in climate, there's been a massive extinction. So, uh, and I've already talked about combustion produces greenhouse gases. So that's, that's bad either way. Okay. Third one, the rise in atmospheric CO2 over the last century was caused clearly by human activity it has occurred as 
at a rate much faster than natural climate changes could produce. Rising level, and this is the opposite view, rising levels of atmospheric CO2 do not necessarily cause global warming, which contradicts the core thesis of human-caused climate change. Um, so, it's, it, that one's a little muddy, but um, we'll move to the next one. Specific type of CO2 that is increasing in Earth's atmosphere can directly be connected to the human activity. Um, and then the opposite of that is human produced CO2 is reabsorbed by oceans, forests, and other carbon sinks, negating any climate changes. Now, this one is interesting. So we can tell specifically that we're causing the CO2 increase because of the isotopes of carbon and oxygen, not oxygen, sorry, just carbon, that are in uh, the air. They're very specific to burning like coal and things like that. Whereas just natural CO2 is not, uh, they don't have those isotopes in them at the same ratio. So, um, and then a rebuttal to the conservative view that human produced CO2 is reabsorbed. It definitely is. Um, CO2 is reabsorbed by oceans, forests, and other carbon sinks. Um, but here's a problem. The oceans can only hold so much. Uh, CO2 gets absorbed by the ocean and, and becomes carbonic acid. And only so much acid, it, only so much CO2 can be converted to acid. Uh, it's a very basic scientific principle called Le Chatelier's principle that you can only push the, the equilibrium so far. Um, and forests, yes, they can definitely take in CO2, but we're cutting those down at an alarming rate. So the forests, our, our natural carbon sink is getting less and less. Uh, Another problem with that is, yes, CO2 can be reabsorbed by things like uh, algae and phytoplankton, but you get things like red tides, where you have, uh, they're called dinoflagellates, that cause red tide. They're a photosynthetic organism. So by having higher CO2 levels, we increase red tides. We increase toxic algae blooms. Um, we increase all of these things that aren't necessarily good just because we're causing a proliferation of a certain type of bacteria or cyanobacteria or phytoplankton or algae is not necessarily a good thing. Um, there's, there's checks and things that need to be balanced that – if you start pushing CO2 into the air, it's not going to be, and things are going to get crazy. Okay, next one. Average temperatures on the Earth have increased at a rate far faster that can be explained by natural climate changes. Um, the opposite to that is CO2 is already saturated in the Earth's atmosphere, and more CO2, man-made or natural, have little impact on the climate. See, again, the, the opposite side of that it doesn't make any sense uh, if 
CO2 <laughs> that I, I can't even begin to like explain that uh, the atmosphere can definitely take in more CO2. Um, if it was saturated, we'd all be dead because uh, we wouldn't be able to breathe oxygen. So let's hope it's not saturated. Um, and more CO2, if we get to the point that CO2, there's so much CO2 that it makes little impact by adding more, we're already dead. So um, let's move on. Next one, natural changes in the sun's activity cannot explain 20th century global warming. And the opposite of that, global warming and cooling are primarily caused by fluctuation in the sun's heat, not by human activity. Um, basically, like, this, the sun is pretty, uh, I wouldn't say predictable, but is fairly consistent. Uh, and it hasn't been fluctuating that much. So... Um, we're not, it's not like we're getting any closer. I mean, there are some solar flares and stuff, but it's not like it's been happening all the time. Okay. Next one, global warming caused by human produced greenhouse gases is causing the Arctic ice caps to melt at an increasing rate. Uh, opposite the rate of global warming has slowed over the past decade, even though atmospheric CO2 continues to increase. I don't understand how those are opposites to each other. So, yeah. Uh, sea levels are rising at an unprecedented rate due to global warming. Uh, eight, uh, not eight, sorry. The opposite of that, sea levels have been steadily rising for thousands of years with the increase has nothing to do with humans. Um, again, both can be true. The sea levels can be steadily rising because we are coming out of an ice age, but at the same time, we could be accelerating that and that's most of the time like that's 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 what always kills me about these arguments i'll admit that i lean towards uh i i am not denying climate change and almost always like i watched a video let, let's just do the dipstick of the day right here uh, i watched a video where bill nye the science guy or just bill nye was brought on to Tucker Carlson. He's on Fox News, his show. And Tucker Carlson was asking about climate change. And Bill Nye was trying to explain to him that it's not that, you know, the climate doesn't change. He's not, we're not, they aren't saying that the climate won't change unless humans do something. The climate is always changing. Bill Nye was trying to get across the fact that we are changing the rate at which the climate is changing. We're increasing the rate at which sea levels are rising. And the other side to this coin cannot get that through their head. They always just, well, sea, sea levels have been rising for thousands of years. Yes, but it's the rate at which, like, the rates are what's significant. Not necessarily, you know, if we're truly coming out of an ice age, yes, there will come a point where there will not be any glaciers. There couldn't even, you know, there might not even be any snowstorms. But the rate at which that's happening could cause major extinctions because evolution takes 
millions of years, not hundreds or thousands. Okay, um, next one. Ocean acidity levels are increasing at an unprecedented rate that can only be explained by human activity. Um, and then again comes this, the acidity levels of the oceans are within past natural levels and the current rise in acidity is a natural fluctuation, not the result of human-caused climate change. Um, okay. Yes, the oceans are within the, the range of most acidic to least acidic. But... It's the rate. Again, it's the rate. And corals reefs are dying because of the acidity. They're getting bleached. Okay. Fish in the ocean, things in the ocean are very adapted to this specific pH. And the more CO2 we put in, you know, like this is where the conservative side of this, uh, this coin, it's starting to contradict itself. It's saying, they say that more CO2 can go into the water, but then they're saying like that it's not having an effect. They obviously don't know their chemistry. The fact that if CO2 goes into the water, it's going to make carbonic acid, and then you're going to have a more acidic ocean, which is going to cause effects. So they are contradicting themselves. Next one. Ocean temperatures are rising at an unprecedented rate due to global warming and are causing additional climate changes. Okay, so this is kind of the same thing again. Um, the opposite side of that coin, predictions of accelerated human-caused climate change are based on computerized climate models that are inadequate and incorrect. So um, I, I, I understand this uh, argument a little bit more. Um, definitely the climate models are not perfect. Um, and they are getting better all the time, though. I mean, with every single month, it seems like, newer software comes out. And we are able to more accurately make these predictions. Uh, so while uh, uh, most of the time the thing is, most of the time conservatives go back to like the first one that came out that was based on and they're like, oh, that model's incorrect. So like or that model didn't, you know, describe exactly what was going to happen 30 years from when it came out. Like, but it kind of did. It was kind of accurate. And it's gotten more and more accurate since. So that's like <laughs> had somebody I'm trying to think. Yeah, it's, it's just a ridiculous argument. All right, glaciers are melting at unprecedented rates due to global warming, causing additional climate changes. And then the opposite side of that, glaciers have been growing and receding for thousands of years due to natural causes, not human activity. Both can be true, again. Uh, Human-caused global warming is changing weather systems and making heat waves and droughts more intense and more frequent. Uh, opposite side, deep ocean currents, not human activity, are a primary driver of natural climate warming and cooling cycles. Once again, uh, both are true. Okay, so a little bit into this one. 
So if we increase the average temperature of the globe, that includes the water, the ocean currents depend on temperature differences. You have cooler water that sinks and travels, and you have warmer water that moves, okay? So you have these giant convection currents in the oceans, and that's what causes the ocean currents. So if you warm the lower oceans, like if, if the oceans all become warm, then these currents start to go away, and that starts really jacking stuff up. Also, in the atmosphere, if you have more heat, that means you have more energy in the atmosphere. That means that you're going to have more high-intensity uh, weathered patterns. And I think uh, we've started to see that, and we're going to continue to see that as uh, things get progressively worse. Okay, dramatic changes in precipitation, such as heavier storms and less snow, are another sign of human-caused global climate change. Um, opposite side of that, increased hurricane activity and other extreme weather events are a result of natural weather patterns, not human-caused climate change. Um, yeah. Then the last one. There isn't a rebuttal to this one on the conservative side. Permafrost is melting at an unprecedented rate due to global warming, causing further climate changes. And what permafrost is, is it is... Uh, Frozen ground uh, is to subsurface layer of frozen soil, and it's in like the northern regions, so like Alaska, Canada, uh, Russia, things like that. And as it starts to melt, methane is released from it. Methane is a better greenhouse gas than even CO2 is. Um, and so you have this feedback loop where it's releasing methane. Methane is causing global warming, which causes more permafrost to melt which releases more methane and you just have this feedback loop. Okay. And that's, that's what's scary. A lot of, of about these things is that, uh, a lot of them are feedback loops, a lot of chemistry and a lot of things like that. They're, they're, uh, they're feedback loops and they, it's hard to break those cycles. So those are some of the claims that both sides have. And honestly, what I get out of it is that, and I, and I don't just see it with just climate change. I see it with all science denying uh, people is that they take one little fact and they just hold on to it. They just cling to it no matter how much other data is thrown at them. They just cling to like, I know this is, you know, the earth has always, the climate's always changed. The earth's climate's always been changing. And it doesn't matter if you say, yeah, well, it's the rate, but they'll just go, but the earth's climate's always been changing. And so they just, they, they refuse to discuss it by clinging on to the one bit of evit like the one bit of data that agrees with their side and both sides do it um like i'll give you an example of uh i'll give you an example of a like a liberal 
the liberal one is uh, glyphosate. Scientific evidence says that glyphosate does not have any uh, notable false effects on, not false effects, uh, mal effects on like us as humans. There's, it doesn't cause cancer. It doesn't have other uh, health effects. But environmentalists and, uh, you know, crazy hippie liberal people want want it regulated and want it gone. They want their organic, you know, whatever. And so they just continue to deny the science. So science denial is not, it's not a conservative thing. It's not a liberal thing. Uh, it's mostly just uh, ill-informed people thing. So with that uh, little conclusion there, let's answer some of the questions you guys have. Okay, so let's get to answering you guys' questions. So one of the first questions I got was, uh, why haven't the polar ice caps melted yet? And, uh, well, that's because science doesn't have them, like the, predi the current prediction isn't they're not going to even be close to melting until 2050. So wait another 30 years and then we'll talk about it. Uh, so that was that one we kind of already discussed. One of them was talking about the thermodynamics of greenhouse gases. Um, talked about that one a little bit. Have oceans risen at all? Yes. Uh, they've, the current rate is about an eighth of an inch per year, which you got to remember again, that's over the entire planet and the entire ocean. So that's a lot some places, not as much in others, but overall it is rising. Um, that's per year. So every eight years, inch. <laughs> okay. Have we been, like, do we have long enough data to make accurate predictions? We have temperature data from at least the 1850s. We can do, uh, we can analyze core samples, things like that, to know what temperatures were all the way back to, you know, 2.4 billion years ago. Um, how much data is politically motivated? So as of now, uh, there is a lot of government funding into climate change. And that does kind of produce a kind of a feedback loop in itself. And that's with a lot of things um, that, that goes with military funding that goes, you know, the more results you see, the more money you get. And so, um, but at the same time, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of capitalism. So, uh, if you want to change that, if you want to see more money going to things that don't produce results, then that's a that's another story for another day. CO2 uh, produced by volcanoes versus us. I've kind of already talked about that. 200 million tons of CO2 per year for uh, volcanoes. We produce 24 billion tons. So orders of magnitude greater for us. Um, anthropogenic versus natural effects. Um, so there are some, like I said, we are coming out of an ice age, 
but we have increased the rate of warming. I, I would I would say that is definitely. Now the effects of that I'm not sure. Um, now this next one is called uh, the person asked about geoengineering and the chemicals that go into it and whether or not they're safe. So um, I think they were discussed trying to say talk about cloud seeding, which actually uses CO2. Um, so CO2, as far as that, they, they, they use dry ice to try to seed clouds that allow for more rain. So we're trying to, you know, places in droughts, like here in Box Elder County, Utah, where I live, there's four giant engines out in our West Desert that uh, I think they use, I'm pretty sure they use CO2. They don't use CO2, they use, uh, I wanna remember, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure it's silver iodide. Uh, let me look really quick. Anyways, uh, I, I wish I would've remembered that before I brought this up. But yeah, the, it uses a molecule that has a crystalline structure similar to ice. And yeah, I'm pretty sure it's silver iodide. Anyways, uh, and it causes, you know, snow or whatever. But most of the time they use CO2 or silver iodide. Both have negligible health effects, per se, um, as in, like, breathing CO2 doesn't necessarily hurt you as much as... Uh, unless it's like super, super, super high concentrated and you're not getting oxygen and silver iodide would have to be extremely concentrated as well for you to see any negative health effects. Um, but there is like, there is like climate engineering where, uh, they use the same type of thing that volcanoes use where they, they try to spray like, sulfates and they've done tests where this actually uh it these chemicals they reflect the sun back and they're meant and designed that when they hit light they actually raise up and become less dense so they raise up in the atmosphere so they never really reach us and if they do it's in super dilute amounts i mean we're talking about the entire volume of the earth. So um, there's not really any health risks there. And if they are, they're negligible because it's so dilute. Um, so they're just trying to mimic volcanoes and cause more light to be reflected instead of making it to earth and causing further warming. So they're trying to, they're trying to mimic volcanoes, anti-global warming stuff. Other geo, like other climate engineering things have to do with like, painting roads white so that more is reflected instead of absorbed um and just trying to cut down on uh greenhouse gases co2 effects on farming and plants so uh here's the thing about uh co2 effects on farming and plants so higher co2 like plants 
CO2 is not the limiting factor in photosynthesis. Um, just because you have higher CO2 doesn't mean there's going to be increased plant growth. Um, it actually can cause issues because like you still have space, you still need water, you still need nutrients in the soil. Okay, like I said, CO2 is not the limiting factor in plant growth. So what I think was trying to be asked here is that if CO2 increases, would like, you know, would plant, would, would we get bigger yields in our farm? And that's only if you increased everything else. So you'd have to increase your water, you'd have to increase the soil nutrients, you'd have to increase uh, the space. These plants have to grow. Those are more limiting factors than CO2 is. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's not like more CO2 would help farming. It actually, because of the weather and patterns and the droughts and things that are predicted like that, it's probably going to have negative effects. Uh, let's see. Emissions over time. I, I looked that up and it is ridiculous. We are actually in, I mean, you got to think when they first started doing this, there was like 3 billion people on the planet. And now there's seven going on 8 billion people on the planet. I talked about ocean currents. Um, so yeah, let's see. And here's just a few facts that I wanted to end on. And then I'll, I'll kind of give you my, my, uh, my conclusion. Few facts. The last cooler than average year was 1976. The last cooler than average month was 1985. The last four years have been the hottest four years ever on record. Uh, let's see. The polar ice caps have been shrinking by 13.2% every 10 years. Uh, let's see. There's 300 to 900% more flooding than there was 50 years ago. And yeah, so those are a few facts. So my conclusions on climate change, I could get into like how we can negate it and stuff. Um, I kind of talked about that a little bit and what we can do. We could lower emissions. You know, one of the things that's been proposed is uh, a carbon tax. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think that taxing emissions uh, would help, but here's the idea behind taxing emissions. Right now you get fined by the EPA if you spill chemicals. If you spill chemicals into a river, you get fined and your, your fine is supposed to pay the damages Pay for the damages that are caused, whether they be to downstream or, you know, for the cleanup, that's, that's part of what the fine is for. So we have that for, a you know, a river or something like that. Why don't we have that for the, the air, the atmosphere? If you're messing up the atmosphere, why don't you get fined for that? You can pump whatever you want out of that. Um, and, and there are regulations already, and no one kind of really throws a fit about those regulations unless 
you're being regulated and then they probably throw fits about it. So, um, from what I've, well, from what I've read, the carbon tax would be on companies and then would basically be rebated whatever, uh, whatever price increase that was caused by that tax that like, so companies would probably like, Oh, I like if you're an oil company, you would raise the price of your gasoline to account for the raise in your uh, carbon tax. You'd pass that on. Well, what's been proposed is that the government would rebate that and like keep the price down to what it should be, um, which I don't necessarily agree with because I mean, that's just spending money to spend money. What actually needs to be, uh, what needs to happen is we need to have uh, incentives and uh, rewards for people that do cut emissions. People, you know, and what's crazy is that even companies like ExxonMobil and things like that are starting to realize that climate change is real and that they have a part in it and they're ch making changes. ExxonMobil is donating tons of money to renewable resources. And I, I, I've been really uh, actually pleased with how they've, they've, they've realized that renewable energy is going to be a lot bigger here in the future. Um, and so I don't agree with the carbon tax and I think we should have incentives. And I also think that we should, uh, we should look to renewable resources, uh, give, give more incentives to people that use renewable resources. Uh, I think we should be like, we'll talk about nuclear energy and hopefully in a future episode, but I think nuclear energy is a great, uh, temporary alternative. We can get as, as far as like the waste that's produced from nuclear energy is so much easier to deal with. And so much, I mean, as far as like, as far as like widespread health risks, so much easier to deal with and so much simpler than producing carbon dioxide and, and dealing with that stuff. So it, it would be a great way to keep our energy production up high because renewable energy sources right now are still not to the efficiency levels that we need them to be. If you can hear a little tiny scream in the background, it's my son, just so you know. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, nuclear energy is a good in between and we need to hop on that. We need to, uh, produce more nuclear energy plants. I mean, we definitely have the hydroelectric, we have solar, we have wind. We need to hop on that stuff. I think the biggest, uh, so I, I think we should be lowering our fossil fuels. Um, but I understand that we're not like, we're not quite ready for that yet, especially with cars and, and, uh, diesel, uh, vehicles. I think, for now, we need to focus on coal because coal is the dirtiest of all of the fossil fuels. It produces the most, it's the least efficient, it's the dirtiest, okay? It's it's actually the one that causes the most, most human health risks. So I think we focus on coal, phase that out, 
then we move on to, you know, move down the list. And I, I think our economy will be better for it in the future. I think, you know, our, our health and our environmental impact. Uh, no matter what anybody tells you, all of our resources are limited. Uh, you know, even, even the sun, even though it's so far down the road that it seems unlimited, the energy that the sun can produce is finite. There is an end number. So we need to conserve resources that we have and so that we actually have a planet in the future. Um, I'm going to say that there, I, I, my personal opinion is that there is climate change. I've looked at data and it seems convincing to me. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I definitely think that there's a natural, uh, there's a natural proponent to climate change. I think that we're kind of piggybacking and accelerating, you know, we're kind of digging in our spurs to the horse of climate change and making it go faster. And the rate is what's caught. Like, like I said, evolution can't keep up with the rate that we're changing the climate. Um, so we're, we're going to dig ourselves a hole real quick. If we don't, uh, if we don't make some changes. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's my conclusion, guys. Um, let me know what you thought of this episode. Once again, I'm really sorry for it being over a month late. Uh, I plan on getting back on the horse and, and start pumping out episodes. I think, uh, I think the next episode is going to be on uh, antibiotic resistance. I'm going to throw myself a softball, one that doesn't take as much uh, research on my part as it's not... Uh, it's, it's not out of my expertise. So, yeah, guys, let me know what you think. Shoot me an email. Leave a comment on the Carpool Chemistry Facebook page. Uh, email carpoolchemistry at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. Let me know if there's anything you think I should improve on, um, anything I got wrong. Like I said, I know I'm not perfect. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do real like my own personal grad school research and this kind of research at the same time. Uh, so I, you know, I'm not saying I did cut corners, but uh, I definitely could have missed something. So let me know. Uh, yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you are back for our next episode. I'm like I said, I'm getting back on this horse. We're going to start pumping these out again. So hope you all have a good one and uh, we'll see you next time.